Welcome to another edition of Tech Table. My name is Kevin Harwood, and as always, I'm looking over at Ryan Considine. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Kevin. I noticed it's weird. You said it's an edition. Is this we're changing the style now? We I'm used to do to mix episodes. Up a little. Edition, we're doing episodes. Episode, I think you know special edition. Is that this okay? Is, I think it is a special edition. You want to tell me why it's a little special? Well, before we get into that, I just wanted to let everyone know who's listening. We are further apart today, and we are not. Uh, if you listen to the last podcast, we had an interesting setup. We were rubbing shoulders today. We are back to normal. I can see you across the room, so we may sound more natural. Which I Hopefully everyone will hear. I like the view. I like that I can see you easily. I do miss the shoulder the shoulder a little bit. I think that was a nice touch. Right. Uh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. But yeah, today we do have a special episode. We actually have another guest. Uh, Jose Puente is joining us today. Uh, he spent several years over at Auto Trader solving some interesting problems and now works for a new company called FlexDrive uh, that's solving, I think, a really interesting problem that we're going to get into. Uh, so, Jose, thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little about yourself and well, what FlexDrive is? Sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoy the view. I'm kind of <laughs> a little... Uh, <laughs> Feeling a little left out of that last, uh, yeah. last banter there. We can move everything and get yeah, really get close a again. Closer. No, it's <laughs> nah, great. It's cool. Yeah. No, that's okay. You can stay over there. <laughs> um, yeah, my name is Jose Puente, and uh, I am the uh, general manager of a business called FlexDrive. We're part of the Cox Automotive uh, companies. Uh, Auto Trader is one of those companies. That's how it all happened. Right. Um, you know, I worked with Auto Trader for about seven years. Uh, in the last four years, really working on the product strategy for mobile. Uh, and kind of reinventing the whole car shopping experience. And what we started looking at was saying that mobile is really creating a, an interesting, uh, you know, pressure on the automotive space really mm -hmm. in a weird way where you see things like Uber where people get this instant gratification to get a ride somewhere. We started thinking about, well, you know, we realized that a lot of people like cars. They like to ride in cars. They like to drive cars. They just don't like to buy them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's especially a... <laughs> the, the financial transaction uh, yeah, part right. that people hate dealing with dealers, yep. right? So we looked at how can we leverage mobile just as an interesting conversation. And uh, could we create something like Uber for car ownership where you could just like sign up and request a car and just no hassle, financing or anything like that no financing just pay for what you use and you're good to go right yeah I, th I think you touched on a really interesting point um nobody wants to own a car they just want to they want to have a way to get somewhere right you don't you just want to get from point a to point b and i think i mean your point is like instead of just uber where uber takes you it's like you still want to drive you still want to you know you know driving is fun it's a it's a thing that people like to do um so let them have that but but nobody really wants to own a car so walk me through, yeah, what a user actually kind of sees in this service. Like, how do they use the service? What do they, you know, specifically get out of the service? And, you know, what makes it really interesting? All right. So I'll start out by, by uh, explaining why FlexDrive, what, what, what the name means. FlexDrive is really uh, designed as a brand to encompass flexible usage of a car for whatever you want. So whether you need a car for your personal use, you need it to drive around on the weekends, whatever you need to do. Even if you drive for Uber, you can drive our cars. So what somebody experiences is, you know, you could see walking into a dealership and saying, I need to buy a car. I can either buy it or lease it. Uh, leasing a used car doesn't really exist, so I can really only buy it. Uh, by the option of FlexDrive, all I have to do is download the FlexDrive app. I can put in my driver's license. As long as I have a clean driving record, I don't have a DUI and major accidents. I have a cell phone in my name and a credit card. I just enter all that information, and as soon as I'm approved, uh, I can select a car that's available pay in advance and I get a car with one payment that includes the car, insurance, maintenance, 
roadside assistance, toll tags, everything's included. I just get in and drive. So it can be as quick as two minutes. So does the user like have the car kind of indefinitely at that point or yeah. are they leaving it at a common place and someone's coming to get that car again? Like, you know, some sort of like car share program. How, how does that actually look from a user perspective? Yeah, um, you can ask to have it. You can request to have it delivered and you can, you know, use it that way. And you can drive it indefinitely. It's a subscription. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you are not buying a car. You're not leasing a car. You're subscribing to it. You're not renting it. You're subscribing to it. Right. That means you pay a monthly or weekly subscription fee, uh, unlimited mileage, and then you can drive the car and you can swap the car. You can take the car back in. You can have the car picked up if you're traveling. Another benefit is that if you're traveling like from uh, Atlanta to Austin and you need a car, we have... Flex drive in those cities. You could drop off your car in Austin and show up in Atlanta and you got a car there. And so you don't have to rent a car at that point. You're no. just a member of the service. Right. And it's in the cities that you're in and you just get a car and you go. That's it's right. awesome. That yeah. sounds that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I could totally see myself using that. And is this taking off? Like, is it, are people like, are consumers open? Because this is a new idea. And even, you know, the even some of the greatest ideas, some of the coolest stuff uh, sometimes is, you know, too early for the market or, you know, people just aren't ready for it. Is this something you think people are ready to you know, see car ownership in this way, or is are you struggling with that a little bit? Um, no, actually, this is like one of those things that it's kind of like it is kind of. I'm gonna keep making references to Uber. It's kind of like Uber. Like after you use it, you're like, oh yeah, of course this always existed, right? <laughs> right, because it was always in your mind. You just never really thought of it, right? But um, that's kind of our tagline. It's freedom, flexibility, finally. And the reason for finally is because this is what everybody's always wanted. We're operating in four cities right now. We have over 700 cars, and we've got uh, about 550 people in the program right now. Uh, we have really no cars available. The, the, the minute we get cars that are ready to go, they're basically already subscribed. Uh, the biggest challenge that we have is not having enough cars for the demand. And we have cars in every different category, all the way from entry-level cars all the way up to like a Mercedes E-Class and SUVs. So um, how does uh, a user, so when they're going through the process, they, they see that maybe I'm like a family and I've got kids and I need a van. Do you do anything like also provide a car seat? Have you looked in like the accessories that may be necessary for those people for those cars? Have you explored that market at all yet? We haven't gotten into that. We've done uh, a lot of uh, consumer research to find out, mm -hmm. you know, to your question earlier about what the demand is for this product. Uh, we surveyed over 2,000 drivers in all different types of categories, uh, demographic groups, regions, what have you, own a car, lease a car, don't have a car, drive for rideshare, don't drive for rideshare, speak English, don't speak English, whatever. And what we found was that the the demographic groups that are the most interested in our program are, you know, oddly enough, guys like you, 21 to 39 years old that really don't want to own a car, but they like to have the access to the car, older people, and really a lot of people that need a car for work, whether they're driving for Uber or maybe they're in a sales job where they need a car to drive around. So we haven't really encountered a lot of uh, demand from people that have families that want, you know, this kind of service. So no, we right. haven't gotten into that. How does the math actually work out from an, like an ownership perspective versus using the service? Is it kind of equal? Do you, do you actually see a significant savings with the service? Where's the real gain there? Yeah, so it's not a it's not a, a cost savings play at all. It's a convenience play. Gotcha. Um, and so the narrative that we're uh, basically developing for presenting the value proposition of FlexDrive is on a cost per mile basis. Because if you look at our rates inside the app, the number one thing that people say is, "Oh my God, you guys are way too expensive." Well, maybe. Um, uh, what people don't realize is that they think that they're paying $199 a month on their car. But that's because you're not accounting for your down payment, you're not accounting for your maintenance, you're not accounting for your insurance, and all these other associated costs that come with owning a car, excluding gas. 
when you really boil that down and you, you average it out to the number of miles that you drive, there is a cost per mile that you're paying right now. And mm-hmm. on that basis, apples to apples, we can beat that by about 10%. How do you go about educating users on that fact? Like, I mean, can you just spell it out that simply kind of like in the onboarding process <laughs> yeah. of the app? Or is, is that sounds, a real challenge for people to be able to like grasp? A, uh, sounds like a design problem, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. But, right. you know, leave it to the designer to try to uh, embody the solution, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, again, uh, we're doing it through um, our marketing and the messaging that we're doing, we're doing it a lot, obviously, through social media because it's a great way to engage with people and, and have that kind of conversation. But we're also um, in the process of launching our updated website that has a pricing calculator that allows you to very easily enter all those data points to show you how much did you put down, how many months are you paying, what's your payment, how much you pay on insurance, how many miles do you drive per month. And it will automatically calculate what you're paying per mile right now effectively and it'll show you comparatively what you can get from FlexRide because with with one car that you're buying you're financing an individual car for at least four years with FlexRide you're subscribing with no commitment to a fleet of cars that you can swap out whenever you want yeah that sounds super valuable for the same price right right and that doesn't even account for the time that you spend going down to DMV and calling your insurance company and going to the toll tag office DMV Uh you don't have to do any of that in this case the car is right there you get in you drive you're good to go right do do the car I guess the so the user is responsible for the gas for the car and then like they have a toll tag on it any tolls that go with it they're responsible for no we cover the toll tags oh you've got the toll tag cover as well I guess uh, the user has to pay for parking Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the things you pay for are the things that you're going to use, right? It's parking, gas, and and cleaning. Yeah. Other than that, we cover everything else. The headlight goes on on the car. It's not your problem. We'll replace it. Right. Yeah, it's super cool. One of the things I I think is pretty exciting about this idea is the the flexibility of, um, you know, having the car that you need for the job or the task you're trying to do, right? If you want to go to the beach for the weekend, uh, you know, get the car that's right for that. If you need to pick something up at the hardware store, uh, get a truck, right? I assume you have all types of cars that, you know, can solve these different types of needs. Well, like I said earlier, we have 700 cars. We don't have trucks and sports cars right now. We consider those more high risk, uh, lower, you know, faster depreciation cars. So we're, you know, we are a business, you know, to, to make money. We're not trying to make a million dollars per car, but we want to be careful about and learn the market a little more before we start jumping into those more kind of uh, you know, more niche type of cars because we know what people are going to do in those and those actually include higher risk uh, from a liability standpoint. You know, somebody, we, we know most people that are using trucks want to move their, ne- their their neighbor's furniture. Do you see users switching cars a lot or do they kind of get locked into, oh, this is my car, this is the one I like driving, I, you know, kind of keep this one indefinitely? What we're finding is that uh, the majority of our customers or subscribers, which are in the program for over 90 days, you know, typically stay in the same car. We've we've had a couple of people that are in the that have been in the program over a year and they're still in the same car. What we do is we we have the cars brought in for service every 90 days or every 6,000 miles, and at that point, the subscriber has the option to switch switch out. Most people end up feeling the way that you're talking about. They become emotionally attached to the car. Typically, what we'll want to do if we see that they're putting a lot of mileage on the car, we'll tell them, hey, there's another, we've got a newer model of the same car you're driving with lower miles. It's got better options, and we can swap them out like that. So we encourage some swaps, but we don't want to do swaps daily. Where does the user actually go and find the car when they sign up for it? Is it just a car that's like sitting around the city and they get to that location and, you know, get in? Or is it more of like a centralized almost lot where these cars are kept and they come there and grab one and then leave? Yeah, so we, uh, as being part of the Cox Automotive family of companies, we have access to pretty much every car dealer in the country. We also have 
uh, 72 of the largest car auctions in the country are in our family of companies. Mm So um, locations are typically at dealerships where you're accustomed to going and picking up the car. But like I said, you can request to have the car delivered to you. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love the delivery thing. I think, uh, you know, we're seeing, is it Tesla has that new feature? You uh, kind of hit the button when you're ready and it kind of backs out of the driveway and pulls out right Mm -hmm. in front of your house. Or, you know, if you park it in a parking lot, it can kind of, you know, self-driving, but only in a parking lot, right, is still kind of uh, in that edge case of uh, capable or, you know, legal, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's super cool. And I, I love the idea of, um, you know, tr- wanting to get a new car and, you know, wanting to swap out my flex drive car. And when I wake up in the morning, the, the new car is out there just waiting for me. Do they need to drive the person back who uh, who brings no. the car to you? No. So someone else comes and picks up the driver who brought it to you? Yeah, Uber. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I guess uh, you use that. Uh, well, and I will right. mention, we do, have a, we do have a commercial partnership with Uber. Uh, and so they do a lot of uh, messaging for, uh, for FlexDrive to their uh, community of people that sign up, you know, to drive right. for Uber as an option for them to... Uh, to sign up with us and not have to use their car. Or right. So if their car doesn't car. qualify or yeah. they don't want to put the miles on their yeah. car, they can actually use a flex drive car yeah. which has insurance covered yeah. for only for driving for Uber. And yeah. how short of a time can you subscribe to a car through flex drive? One week. One week. So you could say, I've got a light week this week. I'm going to go drive for Uber. Let me grab a car. Let me grab this. And all of your personal things are not at risk at all in right. that transaction. And and the value proposition for those types of uh, subscribers is really pretty good because if you drive for Uber, depending on the hours that you drive, uh, you, you can basically cover the entire payment in as little as 10 hours. Gotcha. And then it's pure cash on top of that. Yeah, we have yeah. a lot of subscribers that are only using the car that much on Uber. So they basically have like, you know, somebody's driving a C-Class Mercedes 24, you know, 2015 C-Class. Right. That otherwise would have cost them, you know, Fifteen hundred dollars a month. They're right. getting it for you know, about twelve hundred. Right. Yeah. But it's all covered by what they're earning on Uber because right. they're getting on the on the uh, Uber uh, Lux category. Right. They have higher earnings, and you know, so the guy gets to drive the car after driving ten hours a week. Yeah. It's kind of like paying your car payment with your time instead of with money, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's pretty cool. Right. And yeah, uh, and and the insurance that we have does cover for that. It isn't. Uh, it's not like they don't know. I mean, that that's designed specifically for you to drive for Uber. Yeah, so there's a couple other topics that I'm interested here in, in terms of how they may apply to FlexDrive in the future. I know a lot of people are, you know, obviously are getting really excited about electric vehicles, green vehicles, and then also, uh, you know, autonomous driving, autonomous cars. How do you see those technologies um, impacting FlexDrive and just, the you know, the car community in general here going forward? Uh, as far as electric cars go, the technology continues to improve. Uh, we've explored looking at electric cars for our fleet, but the range just isn't really quite there for us to feel confident about doing that. Mm-hmm. Plus, the consumer education on a one-to-one basis is pretty high, uh, and yeah, that's just a lot of effort um, to put into uh, into a particular car. So you think we're still a couple of years, or maybe even several years away from that being maybe a realistic alternative for cars in the fleet there? I think that you're going to see more of a convergence between, and you really see electric cars become more mainstream when more autonomous uh, options come to the market. I think that the the reality of autonomous cars over the long term uh, looks good, but there's a lot of uh, difficult obstacles in the way. Um, the technology is not the problem. Technology is already there. It's very simple, and it gets faster and cheaper every day to create autonomy. I know a guy that has a company that basically can turn 
any car any year into an autonomous car. I want to know that guy. It's it's just a <laughs> kit that you get, and literally you can go into like a place that you would get your oil changed, and right. they install this kit, and your car's an autonomous. And car it's purely set. like a legal thing at that point to have that actually installed and driving on the roads, or or can well, anyone actually do that today? No, you can do it. You can go get it. Uh, but, you know, it's just in terms of like, where is it available? Gotcha. Um, there's just not a lot of demand for it right now. But right. I think that the reality of the autonomous cars is going to be an incremental uh, release into the market. And you'll see it largely be based off of electric cars, primarily because those cars have lower maintenance costs. They're they're cheaper to build. Uh, and the and the fact that they're autonomous are just being used to shuttle people from one place to the ne- to the next. So you're not. I don't think you're going to see autonomous cars owned by individual people. They're going to be owned by fleet companies or some some network operator that's going to own a fleet of these cars, and they're going to be electric because that reduces their operating costs. They don't have a cost of a driver, and therefore they're going to be able to maximize the amount of money that they can charge. Again, going back to that conversation of a cost per mile. Yeah. So how does it affect FlexDrive? For me, what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the really long, long-term future for FlexDrive is that, again, going back to that cost per mile, people are willing to spend a amount of money to transport their body physically from one location to the next, which is exactly what a car is, right? That's what you pay for. Yep. Um, eventually, in the long term, as these things become more uh, optional, like uh, opt- autonomous cars and all these other maybe bicycles, whatever, FlexRide becomes your subscription to tra- your mobility, you know, subscription. It's like I know I can, I know I'm going to spend six hundred dollars this month to get me from point A to point B, and I'm just going to use my FlexRide account to do that because FlexRide is going to provide. I mean, it might be to an autonomous car, it might be to a car. You know, in some rural areas, there will not be autonomous cars, so you'll always have an access for a car. Right. How are you actually rolling users into the service right now? You said right now you're hitting a little bit of a constraint from a, a vehicle perspective in terms of number of vehicles. Are you having to cap the user base and it's more of an invite solution right now? Or is it open to anyone and as people come, you're just ramping up the cars that are there for the service? Yeah, I mean, we have supply right now uh, with the number of cars that we've we've purchased um, to get us through you know, probably the next month. And then we're going to be basically out of those cars. Mm-hmm. But we are working with a number of companies that have lots of cars and when i mean lots of cars i mean not just like a couple hundred i mean tens of thousands even to one company that we're really close to signing a deal with who actually has over a million cars uh, and then in that sense FlexDrive long-term vision is to become a platform that enables anybody that has vehicles that meet the standards of what we're trying to operate mm-hmm. can put them into the system and we're just an operator. We're just a platform that enables you to monetize the usage of those cars. We'll screen the drivers. We'll monitor the cars. We'll do everything that needs to be done. We'll collect the revenue, and then there's a revenue split. And therefore, you're instead of having cars that you're not, you know, not being used sitting at an auction park somewhere, you're actually able to put those to use and, and start monetizing the usage of those cars. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it seems like you guys are are really kind of set up to be in the perfect place when autonomous cars do start taking off because. Um, you're not in the business of selling cars. You're in the business of put, moving bodies from place to place, right? And it it doesn't seem to impact your business much if uh, if that person if there's a person driving or not, right? I think that's a really smart place to be. Well, and one one thing that I, I want to um, explain right now is that the traditional retail model of a car is you know it's a commodity business, right? You're manufacturing a product in the traditional sense. You're investing in marketing and research and all that kind of stuff. Then you're going through all the channels of pushing it out and all the cost of deploying it and then the risks of the economy and if there's, banks are going to play nice with consumers to let them buy the car and that. You know, the the, the automotive market is fundamentally in, in the transition phase of, a, uh, of, of a, an entirely new business model that's really more centered around 
mileage-based uh, model. There's three trillion miles that are driven in the United States every year, right? And that's not what's really being monetized. Right. Again, I'll use Uber as an example. If you take that three trillion and you try to, you know, kind of extract, well, what percentage of those miles does Uber really consume? It's less than, you know, 1%. It's right. like 0.2%. Exactly. And Super they have low. a $70 billion valuation. And why? It's because they're charging a fee per mile on cars they don't own. That's about as close as you're going to get to really autonomous cars right now anyway. Right. Yep. And even when you throw around numbers like, like three, three trillion miles of driving, think about all the human hours Correct. that are wasted in that that could be applied to solving other problems the, if those cars... The four, productivity gain alone like will pay for itself. Right. 4,000 4, hours per person is right. the number. Exactly. Per per year, which is a year. ton yeah. of time for you to contribute back to solving a different problem rather than trying to pay attention to the car in front of you and not crash your car. Yeah, or a lot of like Netflix watching. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something stuff, like that. Right? I eating, got shows I got to catch up on. Eating you know? right through your cellular uh, plan uh, on AT&T and Verizon there. But, but if, you know, you guys, you know, being in the technology space, you've heard that, that, that Apple's getting into a car. Well, you know, why does, why does Apple want to get into the car business? They, sure, you could argue they're going to make a prettier car and a better car. I mean, they made a phone with one button. Of course, they're going to make a better <laughs> car, right? But the game they're getting into is exactly that. Is they don't they don't really care about manufacturing a, uh, a car that's going to make you feel like I'm going to compete with a Mercedes. What they're going to create is an option that allows them to monetize you at the highest rate per mile possible as a combination of all the all the the products and services that they offer you. So, um, all right, is it safe to say you're excited that Apple's in that space, or are you, yeah. are you, are you when to see what <laughs> I guess? Uh, can you predict a winner now, ten years from now, but in this you, market? I'll tell you. Well, I don't know. I don't know that anybody can do that. What, what I am excited about is that it's long overdue that we have other alternatives to how we move around. Yes. When you think about the parking space that's utilized right now and how much land that's using that could be used for other things that could be better for our lives, it's really exciting to see that there's so many people involved in different levels to try to solve this problem. This whole mobility thing is just a disaster. You know, I, I grew up in Austin. I remember it's when even you, worse. you could walk Jose, down the street. It's even wor- traffic's even worse right now. I it, can promise you that. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, you can't get anywhere. And, yep. and it's just a waste of time. And it's just pollution's bad. And it's the number one problem for uh, quality of life. I was at a mobility conference uh, up in Boston uh, not too long ago. And I think the best question that somebody asked on the panel, they had all these big, big time people, you know, people from all over the world talking about these mobility problems you know, academics, legislators, you know, entrepreneurs, the best question or the best statement I heard out of the whole panel was maybe what we should be talking about is how to get rid of cars. I agree. Just get rid of them completely. Just, yeah. What would, what would the world be like without having to depend on a car to get around? So what's the alternative there? Something like, uh, you know, an increase in trains and public transportation and you know, the human drone Possibly. that carries you around with a drone or. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible, but you think about the effect that it would have on society in just the world and humanity is it possible without having to depend on is it actually possible to get away from cars or have we, have we invested too much in infrastructure for that to ever be like a starter so i don't want to go down this rat hole but here i am um <laughs> virtual reality can provide a a good way to get away from cars you know if, if you don't have to commute because your entire office experience is in a virtual world uh you can stay in your house and so you could you could probably reduce I think how many people's jobs require physical contact, right? Like, sure, your doctor probably needs to, like, feel your organs to make sure that they're not cancerous, right? But 
um, the job that we do all day. Uh, there's no no reason for me to be in physical contact like I was last week. Yeah, but then we Kevin. couldn't rub shoulders when yeah. we were on the podcast. <laughs> um, but you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Like when as a virtual environment starts to uh, you know take over many of those jobs, people can stay in their homes or you know. So a, ta- a tangential to. technology there affecting the number of cars on the road. Certainly. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know what it looks like, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. There's a, a guy that, uh, you know, everybody that's listening to this might might look into. His name is Gabe Klein, and he's worked with a lot of companies like Zipcar. He was the head of transportation, public transportation in Chicago. He's written a book called, I think it's called Smarter Cities, and it's a really interesting perspective on really the impact that cars have on on life and 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 how other alternatives might things make things better i don't think that autonomous cars are going to end up being the silver bullet i just don't i I, want one really bad though i I want one really bad well well then (laughs) right but then take uber or lyft i mean that's about as close just imagine that the person that's driving you (laughs) isn't (laughs) really driving right yeah yeah i I, Um, I haven't done the math to figure out if (laughs) i'm sure it does work out mentally for me on that front but something about me being in a space by myself on my commute to get work done just mentally seems more appealing than having a driver drive well, me I there. like I like what you said, not having to go anywhere <laughs> not at all. Not even go I, at all. Sure, I like right? to be on my couch and my PJs yeah. all day. Right? Maybe that is with my solution. kids. Yeah, that might I mean, be that, the better I'm not solution. saying that's that's the solution, but we are going to we are going to s- stop in at that for a while. So we'll, like, we'll try that out and see how it goes. Like my wife and I this weekend, we went down to Fredericksburg, which is great wine country here in Texas, and we came back late at night. And I, I, I told her like three times, man, I wish my car could just drive myself to get me home. That would be great if we could just like sit in the back. You would have had more fun. Watching a Netflix movie, <laughs> yep. doing something yeah. where I don't have to pay attention to the road here at nine o'clock at night, driving roads I've never driven before. Like, yeah. I just didn't want to do it. I wanted my car to get me there. And so, and like, I haven't, I haven't crossed like the, the path of, can an Uber driver drive me two hours down the road? Like, I, f- I would feel kind of rude asking the Uber driver to take me that far. Well, if you want to know what it costs, I've taken Uber from Dallas to Austin, and it's two hundred and twenty bucks. Okay, so in case so you're wondering, did you okay. tell the guy before That's you got in a lot of airplanes? Did you yeah. tell the guy before you got in when that you, you factor were going, in your time? Yeah, he told him I'm going to Austin. He's yeah, like, and he said fine. Let's do it. Yeah. Wow. He made seventy bucks an hour. That's uh. Yeah. He just he just couldn't have like a anything scheduled for the like 6 hours. It doesn't matter. He made 70 right. bucks an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. what does he do going back? He like, gets other rides, I guess. Like but I don't know whether he did or not. <laughs> well, so, I mean, so he made 30 35 bucks an hour, right? If he had to drive back. That's yeah. that's better than what he was yeah. getting, yeah. you know, right. burning on gas. Right. So Kevin, I think um you and I've talked about autonomous cars a little bit before and I think one of the reasons why you uh, seem to want to own your your own autonomous car is that you think and correct me if I'm wrong but um, I'll just put some words in your mouth real quick put them right there okay yep. um, you think that you know if uh, if you don't own your own car everybody wants to go home around five o'clock um, and there's basically going to be some type of surge pricing and you are going to have to pay more to reserve your car to reserve a car from a fleet at you know at the time that everybody else wants to drive or you're gonna have to wait right Right. It's like there's a there's especially in like, you know, big metro cities like this, there's like a peak time for car utilization. Right. It's in the morning at, you know, rush hour and in the it, afternoon it, it's at weird. rush hour. It correlates with traffic. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So can can these fleets of autonomy cars like if I didn't own one and if I wanted to use one on kind of a you know per usage basis, can they scale to be able to meet that surge uh, to the point where I'm not being charged extra to be fulfilled during that surge? Does that, does that question make yeah. sense? Or that the extra that you're being charged is not so much that you don't want to pay it. Like right. It might be a little more, but it's 
you like know, when not- I see Uber surge pricing at like three or four X, like I'm like, all right, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm I hanging think, out until yeah, the surge I, is I, over. I think if you're in the world where you have autonomous cars and we've kind of crossed that to where they become ubiquitous to that's where we're, our primary mode of transportation, I think the workday schedule is out the door. Is it's just a window. different schedule in general. I, at that I point. just don't think that there's any such thing as rush hour anymore. Because you're working the whole time whenever because, you're commuting there. Yeah, I mean, why are we on the on on the standard you know workday hours, right? Nine to five. Like, what does that mean when you have a world where you have? Well, the, your primary source of mobility is autonomous transportation. Back up, right? back up just a second, though. Why are we on that schedule? So you know, you think why about does, families. Why they take their kids to school in the morning. You know, sure. they need to get home and have their kids ready. You know, dinner ready for them. So I think there's a little bit of like you know mainstream like family you know 70s 60 70 percent of the population yeah those you know, things are going to change i mean t- look right. uh, in in georgia right now there's 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 uh there's schools uh, that are already doing almost they're, they're doing public schools with year-round schedules three-week break for summer vacation because of that because those schedules were built in the 1950s or right. be- before for a lifestyle that just doesn't apply today right right so how far away do you think we are how far away is it from me getting in an autonomous car and it driving me somewhere? Like, what's the timeline right now for that being a realistic service that the average person will just have access to? Oh, I, I don't know. Average Kevin, person? you're not the average person. I'm not average? Okay. No, well, you're, you're average ahead of the curve. Per- when you're talk- if you're going to say average person, 20 years. 20 years out for yeah, kind I mean, of real look, market the, penetration. The, everybody's talking about the problems of cars. Clear. Everybody's talking about the technology of, of how you solve that clear that's not the hurdle the hurdle is everything that happens in between it's making sure that you provide enough scale to where it becomes adopted by a good number of people how you monetize it and then you've got other challenges that are technical in nature which is security and then also in uh, infrastructure like what how are these cars going to get moved around is if they're relying on the current wireless networks can, how ma- how much load can the wireless ne- networks really support having a bunch of cars when you already have traffic when you're sitting on Mopac and you got down to one to one bar on your phone because everybody's right. on the network? That's an angle I haven't thought about before. Is you know what level what what next generation cellular network do we have to actually be on yeah, so for all got, of these cars to be able to pump that information up and down? And then you have not only that, then you have like actual physical infrastructure that has to change, right? Because there's potholes. There's traffic. I mean, it's very dynamic. I mean, it changes every day. There's a new construction site, right? They're building a building. They block off a road. I mean, there's a water main break. Like, how do all these things play into it? That's why I'm saying it's going to take a really long time to work through all those problems to make it to the point where it becomes available for people, the average everyday person. I do think you'll see it in some cities. I do see a time where you'll see cases of it where you'll see, uh, for example, South by Southwest in Austin. They'll block off maybe a five-mile perimeter and say, no cars can drive here. You either take the autonomous car solution, the public transportation, the bikes, or car to go, and maybe maybe Uber because they got granted uh, the 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 you know the the contract right, for, yeah. for, for like they did for Super Bowl exactly right, and that's it. That's your option. You're going to have a bunch of people that are you know pissed off because how? What do you mean I can't drive? You'd be sitting in your car anyway. Right. And then they try the service, and it's like, wow, this is actually better right. than what I was doing. And then you've got adoption just by people being forced to use it. Right. That's, that's a good right. play. I think I think you'll see more of that as a reality in the short term as opposed to 
you know, scaled autonomous. It just doesn't apply to every use case. Like so, again, to that, just one last point on, on that conference that I went to at MIT, the guy's the head of uh, autonomous, you know, labs for MIT. And he's talking about, you know, his, his utopian world. Oh, I could do this presentation today. And if there was an autonomous car, I could go give the same presentation across town. And I said, well, that's great. But what about the guy that's cleaning the toilets? Like, how does that work for him? <laughs> you know, it's like you have to you have to consider every use case. And it's very difficult because every person has a different use case. They have to be at a different time in a different place in a different location every time. It, it just that type of service is very hard to scale. Do you think we could get to the point where a family could use an autonomous car for all of their transportation needs throughout the day? So let me give you an example. So let's say we need to drop a kid off at school. We can send the car with only the kid in the car to school and the car can then return to the house by itself, maybe to pick me up, to take me to work. And then it can drive back to the house by itself and then go get the kid when it needs the kid by itself. And the kid rides back and then it comes down and gets me like, do you think we'll get to the point where the car will be your own personal family chauffeur and you, you might even eliminate the need for two cars? Because you're spending I, your, I don't your cars that, parked so many, you know, so, I, so long every day. I, I think, uh, sure, that that's a plausible scenario. I think the the real question though, there though is a financial question. Like, will it make financial sense for you to actually be an owner of a car that you have to maintain that's autonomous gotcha. to serve your needs? I, I don't know. Nobody no nobody really knows if that's where it's going to end up. Somebody has to incur the cost of the car. Right. So with some of these hurdles, um, my guess is that Kevin, you're going to be working virtually. Uh, a lot sooner before you're going to be working in your car while you drive to work. But I have this dream of working in my car. <laughs> I know, and I'm here to. I'm, so I so have a dream is, that I, it's that's what that I can that uh, I can get in my car and work the whole time while it drives me to work. Allow me to present you a solution, Kevin. A virtual car ride experience <laughs> in which you sit on your couch, you put on your goggles, and a virtual car comes to pick of you the up. Cars driving mm-hmm. by me on Mopac, yep. and then I'm and then I'm and then I do it. And you get traffic. Uh, you have to sit in traffic sometimes. These people yelling and honking. Um, Maybe you've stumbled on the next billion-dollar idea here, right? I'm I just saying. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of them. Yeah, or, or I can just offer the very simple one: just take Uber. I'll have that's to talk to the wife about that. We'll have to work get. the math out how to figure yeah, out what's, if, uh, if how many miles. Well, are you if you gave up your car, have you right. done the math on that? Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'd have to do the math, figure out if I can actually. I live way up in the suburbs, so I don't have like. There's not as many Uber cars, you know, looking to pick people up up there. So, you know, I'd have to figure out if that would be reasonable or not. But you've at least you've at least talked me into considering it more than I did an hour ago. So we're making progress. Uh, we're getting close to the end here. Um, is there anything else that you're just super excited about in the car space, you know, that we haven't covered, but it's something you're watching, something you're really keen on and, you know, hoping to see some real advancements in? Not not much more than what we talked about. I think, you know, again, I'm really excited about all the investment and all the all the things that are happening inside the automotive space in general. Uh, I'm excited about the fact that, you know, it's going to get broken, right? I mean, this traditional, you, you know, 100-year-old model Lots is, of disruption. It's, it's getting broken. And I always think that's a good thing, right? It's good for people. It's exciting. It, gets, it get, allows for putting the pieces back together in ways that are much more interesting. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, you know, a lot of the connected car stuff, which is still very abstract and ambiguous there's really no clear definition on that but i'm excited about what the opportunities are for that um and i'm also opportunity about i'm also excited about 
the ancillary benefits of all that disruption in the automotive space on how that's going to impact you know society i was watching this thing about the hyperloop thing yesterday and how they're actually trying to build that like can you can you imagine just how profound an effect on society that that will have when you can literally move people from austin to dallas in 15 minutes it'll be amazing but just I think drive about to Dallas the, like once once a month, and I hate my life while I'm doing it. So if I could ride that thing in 15 minutes and be there, it would change my life and my family dynamic. I mean, it changes. It would change business. It changes society. And, yeah, I mean, hugely. it's incredible. Yeah. So anything that has to do with mobility, transportations, I think, I think it's exciting. I That's think it's awesome. Great. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. This has been awesome. I felt like we could probably talk for like two more hours about stuff. Yeah, um, I feel like we just got into it. We just scratched the surface, <laughs> we only right? Just got we into just it. scratched the surface. But uh, where can people find out more about FlexDrive? Just go to our website, flexdrive.com, or download our app uh, on Android or iOS, FlexDrive. That's right. That's, yeah, a, Flex... that's a nice looking app. Are we biased? I don't know if we're biased. <laughs> Uh, a great team at Mutual Mobile here helped build that up. So uh, that's why maybe we're slightly biased there. It's a good looking app. Jose, I appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Um, and uh, look forward to see what happens in this space going forward. And I'll let you know if I start taking Uber to work. Awesome. All Thanks right. a lot for the for the, for the the uh, chance to speak with yeah. you guys. And sorry, couldn't rub shoulders with you. Yeah, maybe next maybe time. Maybe next right? time, yeah. All right, Ryan, I'll see you, see you maybe in a week or so. We'll see. See, see you next week, Kevin. See you when I see you. Yeah. Bye.